Just something I hear uh, as a pastor occasionally. Uh, some of you say, say this to me. Um, you'll say to me that, um, well, it usually comes from somebody that has just recently been converted or someone who's really growing in Christ. I hear people say to me, well, my family thinks I'm weird. My family thinks I've gone over the deep end. My family thinks I've gotten too radical with, with Christ. And I always say the same thing when I hear this from people. I always say, yay! I mean, if people think you're weird because you're a Christian, I say, yay! God says His people are weird. Six times in the Bible, He calls us peculiar. Yes? If you have the King James Version. Weirdness is a sign of true conversion. To a point. <laughs> but it's a sign of true conversion. God says, my people are a peculiar people. Six times. If you look in the King James. I looked up the word peculiar in the dictionary. Here's what it says. Unusual, eccentric, odd, strange, weird, abnormal, atypical, distinct, particular, exclusive, and unique. And I, liked, I really like the last one. Belonging distinctively to one person. Obviously, this is the, the sense in which God means it. We are peculiar in the sense that we belong to Him. Amen? We belong to Him. But because we belong to Him, we are different than all the unbelievers in the world. And the unbelievers around us are supposed to know this. They're supposed to smell it on us, as my uh, seminary professor used to say. He would run into a man or woman who was obviously sold out to Christ. I've told you this story many times. And uh, Dr. Carl Allen, he would say, man, that guy smells like God. You know, we're supposed to smell like God. It's that 2 Corinthians passage that we have the aroma of Christ Jesus on us. And beloved, that, that, that aroma is going to smell weird <laughs> to the unbelievers. They don't get it. They don't get it. So when someone says to me, when someone's intimating to me that I'm weird, I embrace it. In fact, I take it as a compliment. So if someone's treating you like you're strange because you're a Christian, because you stand up for Jesus, because you live by the Word of God, it's a, it's a compliment. It's really one of the highest compliments anyone can pay you to talk down about you because you are a follower and a lover of Jesus. It's your best compliment, beloved. It's evangelism. Your weirdness is evangelism, right? You're supposed to go out in the world and, and be a peculiar people. You're supposed to be seen as belonging to Jesus. That's how it works. That's where your evangelism starts. And people see that you're different. And some people will be drawn to Jesus because... They see that you are a peculiar person in the best sense of the word. In the best sense of the world. Jesus says it. He says we are in the world, but we're not of it. Of course we're peculiar. Of course we're, we're like aliens in this world. Of course unbelievers don't get it when we talk about Him. Of course they don't get it. Of course they don't get the fact that we live by uh, the Word of God morally, intellectually, in our work, in the things we do in the world. We're guided by God's Word. That's one reason I wanted to preach about this tonight is because that's what this church is about. We're going to have a short series on why ICM exists. We exist because 
of the Word of God. We exist to proclaim the Word of God. We exist to proclaim that we are a peculiar people. We belong to Him. We don't belong here. We're passing through. We belong to Him. We're on our way home to our awesome God. So next time someone you know, gets down on you or some of your coworkers or students or somebody's giving you a hard time for your... Just get a big smile on your face. Thank them. It's a huge compliment. Don't be ashamed. Don't hang your head. Don't be intimidated. It's a huge compliment. Receive the compliment. Just keep being peculiar in front of them. Live your peculiarity in front of a lost and dying world in front of that lost and dying world. You know, human beings, we have almost this irresistible need to conform. Yes? It's like we just want to get in that herd and run with the herd. It's uncomfortable to be outside the herd. Yes? You understand what I'm saying? And human beings just have this, it's almost like we can't help ourselves. We've got to be one of, the, one of the herd. God says you're not one of that herd, you're mine. You're you're peculiar. You belong to me. I bought you. I paid for you with a price. With the blood of my son, you belong to me. Don't run with the herd. How many of you know what a lemming is? How many of you know what a lemming is? Nobody knows what a lemming is? A couple. It's a, it's a, little, it's a little rat, okay? It's a little fat rodent. The Scandinavian lemming is a zoological phenomenon. Every three to four years, this little Scandinavian uh, lemming, it just up and leaves. They all do. It's not just one or one family or a couple of families. They all get up and they go. One monolithic mass. They go and they, they migrate. And they get to the ocean. You know what they do, right? They get to the ocean. What do they do? They just jump in. Oh, guess what happens to all of them? They drown. It's like none of them say, this is not a good idea. They just all go. Beloved, this is human nature. This is mankind. Mankind's on his way to hell. They're all running to hell. There was this picture in one of my seminary professor's uh, office. I'll never forget it. And it, it was just an endless... An, there, was like, there were men, men and women, two abreast, and it was just a line of men and women as far as you could see into the distance, into the background of the picture. And they were just... They had their heads up and they were just walking over a cliff. They were just walking into the abyss. Beloved, this is, what, this is what unbelievers are doing. This is what I'm telling you. You are a peculiar people. They don't understand you. It's a compliment. And we're to take advantage of our peculiarity by sharing Jesus Christ with them. We are not part of the mindless herd headed to hell. We are not. We're thinking people. A thinking people. We know we're here for a reason. We know God's left us here for a reason. And it's not to be completely self-absorbed. <laughs> it's to be Jesus-absorbed. Yes? To share the Gospel. To live a godly life. To point to Jesus. To make Him famous in the world. We do not embrace the wisdom and ways of the world. We do not conform to it. We do not compromise with it. Sometimes compromise is a good thing. 
We want to be reasonable people, reasonable people right? We, we, sometimes we need to be conciliatory. Sometimes we need to cooperate. Sometimes we need to find the middle ground. We should, except when God's Word is on the line. That's when we never compromise. Amen? We don't ever compromise on the Word of God. We don't bargain. We don't negotiate. We don't meet people halfway when it comes to God's Word. We stand there. We can love them, but we stand there and say, this is what God says. This is what my, my Redeemer, my Creator says. This is how I live. I know it offends you, but this is who I am in Christ. So we stand there. We stand firm. No compromise. No compromise. We understand that God says what He means and He means what He says. <laughs> I'm always astonished that Christians, who, you know, people say they're Christians and they don't live by this at all. At all. You watch their life and you realize, you know, they, don't, they wouldn't give you a dime for this. They don't care at all. Beloved, that's not obviously biblical Christianity. We're called to live by the Word. That's how God expects His children to live. He, he expects us to be an uncompromising people when it comes to this. We never settle. We never settle when it comes to this. God has called His people to be separate from the world. You know the great text, James chapter 4. Friendship with the world is what? Someone tell me. It's hostility toward God. You can't make yourself a friend of this world. You've just made yourself an enemy of God. If you seek to be friends with this world, you also know the other text I presume that I want to share with you. 1 John chapter 2, if anyone loves this world, the love of God is not in him. So we understand we are a peculiar people and we stand apart. We stand apart. We do not run with the herd. As I said to you in the next few weeks, I just want to share a few principles about ICM. That's one of those principles. We don't run with the herd. We don't run with the religious herd. We don't. We stand here and we proclaim God's Word, period. That's all we do. We don't do anything else. That's all we do at ICM is preach and teach the Word of God. So I want to talk about this Aspect. It's one of the fundamental principles of ICM. This. This is who we are. This is all we do. You'll never come to me and ask me a question. And I'll say, well, let me check the catechism or let me check um, the elder's uh, statement of faith. Let me, I'm never going to check any of that. I'm going to check this. This is what we check. <laughs> we, we, you know, this is who we are. So we don't compromise on the word of God. It's what we talked about in the Hebrews 11 study. The men and women of Hebrews 11, they were uncompromising. They didn't compromise. They went with God. They, it, it wasn't half measures with them. <laughs> you know? It wasn't middle ground with them. They went with God. They were uncompromising. Beloved, God means for you to be uncompromising when it comes to His Word. He means for you to be uncompromising. And so, that's who we are at ICM. Uh, I want to borrow a, one of George Mueller's 
favorite uh, verses. I won't go into detail about it, but you may remember he loved Psalm 81.10, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. That's, that's, that's one of the promises we claim at ICM. When we came to plant this church, we came just trusting that, that God would build it. You know, we don't do slick, cool, trendy stuff. We do God's Word. You know? We, and we don't apologize for that. We trust God to build His church. We don't try to be the world. We don't try to be the world to get people to come in here. We just trust the Lord to build His church. So we open our mouth wide and we trust that God will fill us up. Yeah, we're not into seeker-sensitive, the seeker-sensitive model. We don't, we don't trim down the Gospel. We don't make it soft and fuzzy. We don't take the edges off to make people feel better about themselves. Hey, that's not what the Gospel is about. That's not what the Gospel is about. You know, it's like, if you know anything about evangelism, you've got to get someone lost before you can get them found. The only way you can get somebody lost is you tell them the truth. You tell them the truth. They're standing before a holy God. You tell them the truth. Karen and I were talking about it coming to church tonight. Hell is an awful thing. If you think deeply about hell, if you think deeply about it, you can't help but tremble. You can't help but be sobered by the fact that God says all who reject Him will spend eternity in hell. Beloved, we don't have time to play patty cake with people. We don't have time to, to try to make it soft. It's not soft. If you don't come to Christ, if you don't love Christ, if, you're, if you haven't given yourself to Christ, you're on your way to hell. Beloved, we need to be honest with people. We've got to tell people the truth. Or we don't love them at all. The best way a Christian can love the world is simply tell them the truth. There are a lot of other ways to love the world. But one of the best ways is to simply tell them the truth. God says. God says. Jesus is the only way. There aren't ten ways. There aren't five ways. There aren't two ways. There's one way. His name is Jesus Christ. And it, even, even all the pseudo-Christianity in the world, all this, these false expressions of Christianity, both Catholic and Protestant, there's so many uh, expressions of Christianity that are not biblical at all, beloved. They're damning. They're damning. This is the truth. This is God's truth. We've got to love people enough to tell them the truth. That's what we're called to do. One of the promises we stand on in this church, Revelation 3, you may remember that great promise that, that uh, Jesus makes to the church of Philadelphia. He says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door that no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is the promise we, we claim. God has opened a door that no man can shut because we're going to hold to His Word and we're going to proclaim the name of Jesus. The biblical Jesus. Not some made-up Catholic Jesus or some made-up name-and-claim-it Protestant Jesus, but the biblical Jesus. And we make no apologies for that. Some people don't like us because of that. Some people never come back to this church because of that. But we stand on the truth. 
We don't try to edit God in this church. We don't edit God in this church. So because God always honors His Word and He works mightily through those who love it and hold to it, I want to illustrate this truth from the book of Daniel. You heard some of the text read. I will... uh, Let me pick up here. Let me pick up here. Let me give you some context. Let me give you a little context here. God's judgment has fallen on Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, because of their sin. God's vehicle for judgment is Nebuchadnezzar uh, and the Babylonian army. Daniel is one of the young Jewish nobility who's taken into exile. So I'm going to summarize verse 4 through 5. Uh, 4 through 7 here for you. You can follow along if you want with me. Nebuchadnezzar had a shrewd policy of how he handled conquered peoples. He would take the young men, usually 14 to 17 years old, the best and the brightest, and he would bring them into his royal courts and into his royal schools. He would, give, he would get them used to living in luxury. They would be eating from the king's table. In a very short time, they were no longer Hebrews. They were little Babylonians. This is how Nebuchadnezzar would do it. It was one long premeditated seduction. Scholars tell us, I'm not quite sure how they know this, I guess maybe some ancient uh, recordings somewhere, there were about 75 young men taken at this particular exile. 75. 75. So that's an important number to remember. If we look at verses 6 and 7, we see that Daniel is is among these 75. Also, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 8. Verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he Drink. Now, Daniel, if you, if you read the text here, you see that Daniel entered into the education program. There's no, there was no prohibition in God's Word about secular education. He even, uh, was, you know, he even accepted his, his uh, Persian name. I'm sure he didn't like it, but he was okay with that. But he would not compromise on the diet. Why? Someone, does someone know why? As a Jew, what? He was under dietary... Uh, restrictions by the Word of God, yes? By, as an Old Testament Jew, yes? So, the secular education was okay, the Babylonian name, Persian name was okay, but no on the diet. Why? He would not compromise on God's Word. So this is a silly thing. This is a silly, silly thing to be killed for. I mean, he risked being killed over this. It's not silly to Daniel. It's God's Word to Daniel. You know, sometimes, don't you hear it out in the world? Oh, that's silly. Why do you do that? Why? You can come with us. You can, you can do that. It's not a problem. Oh, that's silly. You know, why do you think like that? You hear this all the time. If God says that it's not silly, beloved, if God's taking the time to reveal to us that this is something we're not to be involved in, it's certainly not, certainly not silly. Daniel will not compromise on God's Word. He draws the line. And look what it says. It says he made up his mind. So I'm going to challenge you tonight to make up your mind. I don't know if you have some area in your life. Some of you may not have even come to Christ yet in a biblical sense. But I don't know. Some of you are Christians. You may have areas of your life where you have been compromising. 
where you have been making excuses, where you have been rationalizing. Tonight, no more. I'm going to challenge you to walk out of here. No compromises. Even as God has challenged me this week as I've studied, I'm challenging you. No compromises in the world. If God says it, do it. We understand we're not perfect. We understand we need the grace of Jesus. But don't you dare be flippant with God's Word in the world. Don't you dare call yourself a Christian and be flippant. Flip it with the Word of God. That means to be casual with the Word of God. That means not to take it seriously. That's what the word flip it means. Don't go out in the world and do that. We can learn a lot from this 14-year-old boy. He draws the line. You know, and the thing I love about it, he, it's not only that he, he won't compromise. The cool thing about it, you know, when you won't compromise, the, the great thing about this is when you refuse to compromise, your life becomes uh, completely uncomplicated as well. Because the line is always the same. The, the, you don't have to draw new lines every day. You don't have to get, wake up and say, oh, well, you know, I wonder if I should do that or I should do this or should I, should I cross that line? If God says no, you don't cross it. It's a very uncomplicated way to live. It's a, it'll simplify your life. Get rid of a lot of angst and anxiety by simply making up your mind. I'm going to live like a son or a daughter of the king. Period. Just make up your mind and then go do it. Make up your mind and go do it. we got a lot to learn here, I think, from, from Daniel. Daniel had made up his mind. Have you, beloved? Let me just ask you, have you made up your mind? If you haven't, I challenge you tonight. Make up your mind to live by the Word of God. You know, it would be easy for Daniel. Daniel, had a, Daniel could, a, could make a good argument for compromise. He's probably 14 years old. He's a prisoner of war. Right? I mean, he, this is adverse. This is an adverse situation for him. And he doesn't want to incur the wrath of, of the, of the uh, king's guards. You know, he wants to do well. He wants to be accepted. He wants to be liked. He's just like you and me. But he made up his mind, right? You know, he could have made an argument. A, 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 you know, he could have got a, a real pout going. You know what the word pout means? He could have really felt sorry for himself, right? I know so many Christians, and I have experienced this many, many years ago as a young Christian. You know, you get into a hard place and you start to feel sorry for yourself. And you say, well, I deserve something that makes me feel good, even if God says no. You know, you can start making these rationalizations in your own mind. Daniel could have said, hey, you know, I'm captive. He didn't make excuses. He was uncompromising. Don't you love this kid? I love this kid. He was uncompromising. He smelled like God. He smelled like God. He was living out Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Not many will stand like this. Not many. Do the math. We got four guys Right? Out of 75. What's the, what's the percentage? Some of you mathematicians. It's like 5%. 5%! Stand. You know, not many will when it comes down to it. When the pressure comes. 
out in the world. You know, we sit in church, we nod our heads, yes, that's good, I see the Bible says that, that's good, I like that, yes, amen, amen. You go out in the world, and all of a sudden your knees are shaking, right? And your boss asks you to do something illegal, or your colleagues want you to do something that's immoral. You know, and you start, you, or the name Jesus comes up, and you, you just can't bring yourself to, 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 to bring a strong word for, the, for your Lord and your Savior. Beloved, we ought, not, we ought not be like this. I know we all fail at times. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. But I'm saying we need to make up our minds. And we need, we need to be a strong testimony out in the world. Not many will stand. Not many will be uncompromising in the world. This is a fact. Chapter 3. I'm going to turn over to chapter 3 real, real quick. Nebuchadnezzar. This is where we were reading earlier. Nebuchadnezzar has built a 90-foot golden idol and he demands everyone to bow down to it. Of course, all the lemmings bow down to it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not. Nebuchadnezzar is outraged and he had them brought before him. So I'm in chapter 3, verses... 15, 16, 17, and 18. I'm just going to uh, share this with you. You heard it read earlier. They, they say, we won't worship your God. Um, o Nebuchadnezzar, we have no, we have no reason to, to, to answer you on this. You know our answer. Um, verse 17, I love this. Our God is able to deliver us. We know this. We know He's the great sovereign, almighty God. He can deliver us. Verse 18, but if He doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're not going to compromise. Right? We're not going to worship your goofy God. Your goofy made-up God. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. I love this. Beloved, this is how we need to be. <laughs> right? You know, we just need to obey the Lord and let the chips fall. Sometimes it's going to cost. Just let the chips fall. We know the Lord can deliver us, but if the Lord chooses not to deliver us, we still obey. Because we trust a sovereign God who's omniscient, who's doing a good thing. Whether He delivers us or doesn't deliver us. We talked about this in Hebrews 11. Uh, Daniel was delivered from the lion, but Stephen was stoned to death. Well, how do we reconcile that? God's doing a different thing through those two men. He glorifies Himself differently through those two men. They say we may die, but we will not compromise. Is that how you are as a Christian, beloved? Is that how you live your Christian life? I may lose my job, but I won't compromise. I may be ostracized by my friends, but I won't compromise. People may make fun of me, but I will not compromise. This is how true Christians, this is how God calls His people. To live. You know, 2 Timothy 1.7, we are not to have a spirit of what? Someone tell me. A spirit of timidity and fear, but one of power. Beloved, do you have power in the world? You will have power in the world if you believe this. If you believe your God is great. You believe your God is faithful. You will have power in the world. You will have power in the world. God will use you to convert the lost. Because you live, you make Jesus famous in the world, you, you proclaim the word of Jesus, people will get saved because you're there. 
People will be in heaven because God used you to save the lost. Beloved, there's no higher calling. There's no better job. I have the best job in the world. I get paid to do it, right? But you know what? You can be more effective than I can ever be. Because people always say, I know they say it behind my back. Oh, he gets paid to say that. That's his living. He gets paid to talk like that. But you don't. In, in some ways, you can be much more powerful than I can ever be out in the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not getting paid to talk about Jesus. You're talking about Jesus because you love Jesus. <laughs> because He's your Creator. And He's your Redeemer. They say, man, you can do what you want, but we're not going to worship your stupid God. This stupid God you made up. And beloved, I just want to say to you, this is our job description, to be uncompromising when it comes to the truth. And that's what we do at this church. I've said it many, many times. I'll say it one more time. I've already alluded to it. You know, if we have, if it's just Karen and I, if it's just two of us, <laughs> maybe Kevin will come. If it's just two of us, or a thousand and two, it doesn't matter. We're going to preach the Bible. Yes? It doesn't matter. We're not going to do stupid gimmicks to, 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 try to, draw, to try to draw unbelievers in here. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit. And we're going to trust the Word of God. We're not going to do stupid stuff. It doesn't matter if we have two or a thousand and two. We're going to preach the same message. This is ICM. This is why we exist. This is what God has called us to do. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do their job. Let me, let's look here real quick at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, look at verses 19 here. Nebuchadnezzar's filled with rage. They won't bow down to his stupid God. And he says, um, heat the furnace seven times harder than normal. And so verse 20, they tied up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they, they were going to cast them into the furnace. And they threw them into the furnace, but the men who threw them in were slain by the, by the flame. Verse 23, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they fell into the midst of the furnace. They were still tied up. Verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men that we cast into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, Certainly, O king. The lemming said, Certainly, O king. Verse 25, he answered and he said, Look, I see four guys in there. One, and they're loosed and they're walking about. And the fourth is like, the, is like one of the sons of God. What happened? Someone tell me what happened. <laughs> Who's in there with them? Jesus. Pre-incarnate Christ. That may be a new term for some of you. It's just Jesus. Jesus is in there with them. Yes? They would not compromise. Jesus meets them there. Jesus will always meet you there. Real quick. I got fired once because I said I will not do that. That's an illegal thing. Some of you have heard me tell this story, and, and I, I will not do this. And I got fired. Um, I had a wife, two kids, a dog, a cat, and a parakeet, right? I had a lot of people counting on me, right? I had, in seven days, I had a far better job. God doesn't, God doesn't always work that quick, <laughs> but God is faithful. God comes to His people. He, God, God comes to His people, His uncompromising sons and daughters. When they stand, He comes to them. This is what He does. We know the story of Stephen. Stephen was stoned. But what did, did Jesus abandon Stephen? 
Jesus gave, you know, I think we talked about this several weeks ago when we were in the, the Hebrews 11 series. Jesus opens up the windows of heaven. Stephen sees him. And Jesus stands to receive his first New Testament martyr. It's an awesome thing. God does not abandon his children when they are uncompromising. He does not abandon them. Jesus comes to his people in their obedience. I heard a preacher say one time about this text. He said, he said, um, and I liked it. It was really good. He said, these guys are different. They're dedicated. They're daring. And they're delivered. Don't you like that? Different, dedicated, daring, and delivered. But you know, he left one out in my view. He left one out. He left one out. Let's look at this verse here. Verses 26 to 29. What happened after this? God did this awesome thing? Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar, he came to the door. He said, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, come on out of there. And they came out, verse 27, and all the high officials were gathered around. Fire had, the fire had had no effect on their bodies. Their hair was not even singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor did they have the smell of fire upon them. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar, what is Nebuchadnezzar's response to this? Wait a minute. Okay, these guys are uncompromising to the point of death. What do the unbelievers end up doing? Someone tell me. They end up praising God. This pagan king ends up praising God because three of God's men stood and would not compromise. This is beautiful, beloved. We need to, we need to get this. This is, this is awesome. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28 says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent His angel and delivered His servants who put their trust in Him. Verse 29, Therefore, I make a decree that anyone who speaks anything against this awesome God shall be torn limb from limb. There is no God who is able to deliver like their God. Don't you love it? I love this, man. Man, when you stand, you know, people catch that aroma of Christ on you. And if God delivers, He delivers. If, if we enter into a trial, we enter into a trial. This is God's business. We talked a lot about this in Hebrews 11, so I won't go into it again. We trust God with all the, the consequence. We trust God with all the fallout. We just do our job. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did their job. They were uncompromising, right? They did their job. And the unbelievers around them ended up praising, praising the Lord. We see the same thing over in chapter 6. Turn with me over to chapter 6 very quick. You remember that uh, all the high officials in, in the kingdom, they were jealous of Daniel and they got the king to issue a decree about no one could pray except to, to, the, uh, to Darius. And Of course, they knew that Daniel would continue to pray to Jehovah God. You go over to chapter 6, verse 26. The king uh, had made this decree and, and so... Uh, Daniel was caught praying to Jehovah, and so they throw him in the lion's den. Verses 6, chapter 26. King says, and, and of course Daniel walks out of the lion's den the next morning. Verse 26, I, the king says, I make a decree that in, that in all the dominion of my kingdom men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Beloved, <laughs> do you believe your God? 
Do you believe your God? Will you trust your God? You know, we went through the whole Hebrews 11 thing. You know, again, Daniel was delivered, Stephen was stoned, God's still God. It's, it's not up to us. And it doesn't really matter what the consequences are. Our job is simply to be uncompromising. Our job is to obey the Lord and honor Him. So, I want to challenge each one of you. I lovingly challenge you as your pastor tonight to make up your mind. Make up your mind. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. I'm going to close with a great story. I love this story. Some of you may, may be familiar with it. It's a true story. It comes from a book entitled A Distant Grief, uh, written by Kephas Sempangi. Does anybody know this, this, this book, Kephas Sempangi? I don't think we have anyone from Uganda here tonight, do we? Yes. Okay, Susan, I forgot. Um, she may know the name. Most of you are probably too young to know the name of Idi Amin. Do you know the name Idi Amin? He was a ruthless dictator back in uh, the 70s. And he persecuted Christians. Uh, Kephas Senpangi was um, the pastor of a Christian church and he was the target of Ugandan secret police. An awesome thing happened Easter Sunday morning, 1973. 7,000 people came to Senpangi's church. You know, I keep waiting for that day. You know, when 7,000 people come in, we won't have enough chairs. 7,000 people came to hear the Word, right? And they couldn't meet in the church, so they met out in the street, and there were people in trees, and people sitting on top of cars, and you know, just sitting in the streets, standing, because they wanted to hear the Word of God. Some people had walked up to 80 miles. And uh, Sanpangi, he gave them the truth, right? He talked about, this is Easter Sunday morning, he preached about the suffering death and victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he preached hard to him, And he tried to close the service and the, the people wouldn't let him. I'm waiting for that to happen too. The people wouldn't let him close the service. One, of the guy, one guy yelled out and he said, Hey, hey, Kephas, he said, Hey, go rest yourself and then come back and preach some more. And so he went and he rested for an hour, right? He went and rested for an hour and he came back and almost nobody had left. He preached another three and a half hours and it was starting to get dark. So he told the people, he said, you got to go, man. It's not safe, you know, it's not safe to travel at night. So he, he dismissed the, the, the crowd. He dismissed the crowd. When Senpangi got home, there were five Ugandan secret police waiting for him. And they had their guns drawn. And they told him, you are dead if you keep preaching the Gospel. Sanpangi uh, said this. One thing he said was, he said, he said he was, scared, he, was, he was scared speechless, but then he heard himself talking. He said it was like I wasn't talking, but I heard myself talking. He said, the Lord stiffened my knees. <laughs> he said I was scared to death. And he said this, I do not need to plead my cause. I am a dead man already. I am dead in Christ. Amen? Isn't that, isn't that the Gospel? We are dead in Christ. Don't you love that? He says, but in Him I will live forever. And then he said, 
It is your lives that are in danger. I will pray that after you have killed me, God will spare you eternal destruction. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love this? After you've killed me, <laughs> I pray that the Lord will deliver you from hell. He said he was waiting for the bullet to strike him. And the leader of the police asked him, he said, why do I see the widows singing and praising God in your services? We've killed their husbands. Why do I see them praising God? Sanpangi said, God is their husband. God is their husband. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And then shockingly, the leader of the, of the group asked Sanspangi to pray for them. And he thought it was a joke. He thought it was a cruel joke. He thought he would begin to pray and the bullet would hit him in the head. You know, he thought it was some kind of cruel joke. So he bowed his head and he said, Father in heaven, you have forgiven me in the past. Forgive these men also who are killing me. Do not let them perish in their sins, but bring them to yourself. Sanpangi looked up and he said, their countenance had changed. He prayed this prayer for these men. And when he looked up, their countenance had changed. They were different. They were different. The leader of the secret police said, you have helped us and we will protect you. They came to kill him. <laughs> he said he was scared. We're always scared. We're scared in the flesh sometimes. But the Lord stiffened his knees and he was bold. He was bold in the face of almost sure death. Senpangi was different. He was dedicated. He was daring and he was delivered. But the unbelievers caught a whiff of God. They caught a glimpse of God through His bold testimony. So I'm exhorting you, beloved, tonight. I'm exhorting you to, be, to leave this place in an uncompromising mindset. Don't compromise with the world anymore. Don't compromise the Word of God. You go out in the world and you obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. So we're going to close a little different tonight. So I'm just going to let you sit in your chair and I'm just going to let you make a commitment to the Lord tonight. I don't know what's in your heart. Probably some of you here need to publicly profess Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Probably some of you have never actually done that. If you don't know what that means and you want to talk to me, you come talk to me later after the service. But some of you here may need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. You may never have done that. Some of you may need to confess right there, but just you and God, you confess some habitual sin and you give it to Him. Maybe some of you need to do that. We're just going to do business with the Lord tonight. Maybe some of you need to commit to this church and, and just quit coming it when it's convenient and just quit coming when you can schedule it. You commit to the church. You commit to the body of Christ. You come. You worship. You serve. You love. You give. This is what Christians do. Not when it's convenient. All the time. All the time. Maybe some of us in here need to commit to be a selfless member of the body. Maybe some of us need to forgive someone. I don't know. Maybe some of us need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe some of us need to surrender to full-time Christian ministry. <laughs> I don't know. It could be 101 things. Maybe you're being willfully disobedient in some area. 
willfully disobedient. You know what the Lord has said, you're just not doing it. Maybe some of you have grown lukewarm. Maybe it is just convenience Christianity for you. Beloved, this is not pleasing to the Lord. So we're just going to be still for a few minutes and then I'll close with a word of prayer. Even the, you music guys, just keep your seat. We're just going to spend some quiet time with the Lord. I want to share something with you. Uh, I heard it in the lyrics last night. I'd not heard this song before and I loved it. It was beautiful. Um, I love this. It said, It says, Cause for me, it isn't enough to take your name, accept your gifts, and remain the same. Don't you love that? He says, Cause for me, it isn't enough to take your name, to accept your gifts, and remain the same. I want to honor you, and I want to bless you all of my days. This is what I'm calling you to tonight. So bow your head right there. Talk to God. Do what you need to do with the Lord, and then I'll close in prayer.